Welcome to the Water Podcast. Water is a family of libraries for testing web applications. You can learn more about it at water.github.io. This is episode 65, recorded on December 3rd, 2016. My name is David McNella, and I'm a software tester in Southern California. Today, I'm talking with Jeff Cheesy Morgan. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing pretty good. Um, Jeff, for those who may not know, which I don't know how they wouldn't know, is a code author of some important gems, including page objects, data magic, test gen, fig Newton. Those are just ones I've used. Uh, there's um, some other really interesting ones like service mock yes. and code sniffer. Those are yeah, ones I'm interested in using. He's also been a few. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, he's also the author of the book Cucumber and Cheese, that's on Lean Pub that I I refer to often, um, both in my podcast and regular working life because I like to encourage people to, to read good books. And he's a trainer at Lean Dog. He's a co-founder, and he trains on Agile and Lean and acceptance test-driven development. You do quite a lot, Jeff. I appreciate that. I'm a busy boy. So why are you in uh, Germany today? Uh, I'm in Germany because I'm uh, speaking at a conference called Agile Testing Days. Uh, that's in Potsdam, Germany uh, this next week. Okay. I've heard of that one. Have you been doing a lot of conferences lately? I guess it's all relative. So I, I think I ended up speaking at about 12 conferences this year, which sounds like a lot. A couple of years ago, though, I was speaking at over 20 a year. So it's 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 down some from that. But uh, for some reason, people still want to hear what I have to say. So I keep doing it. So, yes. I don't blame them. They're, they're getting a lot of good info from you. So... I wanted to ask you about what's new with page objects. I saw that you had a new release. Well, let's see. The the large changes are support for Selenium 3 and Water 6. You know, the migration from Water WebDriver to Water was probably one of the, the larger things. A lot of small changes as well. It's actually the release that I'm working on right now. I haven't put it out yet. That That's going to be substantially larger though, Dave, and I can talk a little bit about that. I guess though I should start with just a little tiny bit of the history because I think it's important to understand so that you can it's easier to understand what I'm doing right now. So back when I first started the page object gem, there were sort of two uh Ruby gems out there that everybody was using one of them. Uh there was water and there was Selenium, and this was before the WebDriver experiment or the WebDriver paths. I built page objects so that it could support both of them. Part of the part of what I did was I actually kind of built parity around the two. So, for example, at that time there was a lot more you could do with water than what you could do with Selenium, and yet there still were people that wanted to use Selenium to drive. So what I ended up doing is is some of the features that were in water that maybe weren't in Selenium. But if you used page object with Selenium, I kind of built those in the gym. So I sort of built them up to parity. And then both of those gems took the WebDriver path to a point where Water WebDriver was actually built on top of Selenium. And so over time, 
it's gotten a little bit easier to have that distinction inside of my Ruby gem. And even to a point now where I really started questioning, you know, do I need to support both Selenium and WaterWeb driver? Because in essence, the the driver is exactly the same. So what the release that I'm working on right now is not going to have a lot of public difference, but internally it has quite a bit of difference. I've completely dropped the entire Selenium platform code base inside and it leverages water. So if you do pass in a Selenium driver to the page object uh, constructor, all it's doing is simply wrapping it with a water driver and continuing on. And so what it's done is it's reduced my code base and simplified the code quite a bit. And I think that this was a, is a good step in the right way. There are some other significant simplifications that are going to come in, in future releases as well. But it, it's just sort of an acknowledgement of the fact that Water WebDriver and Selenium WebDriver, or now Water and Selenium WebDriver, have sort of come together where Water is a nice set of additional features over top of Selenium. It just made sense for me to really focus in on that. So that's pretty significant. I'm hoping maybe I can get that out while I'm at the conference this week. Okay. Yeah, well, that was a good explanation because um, that was actually covering my next question of why I moved towards water. Now, you said you were thinking about making more changes in, in page objects. What are some of those changes that we can expect to see? So I'm going back and forth on a couple of ideas right now. Again, a lot of these are, are more internal, uh, to be quite honest, Dave. Uh, you know, getting rid of some of the legacy, you know, the, the and – that's why I spent some time kind of giving the background so you can understand why the legacy is there. But uh, right now, uh, for many calls, for example, uh, whenever you make a call to page object, it just turns around and 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 unless if you're inside of a frame or unless if you're you know it, it, it very very frequently what it does is just directly delegate to water. And so why should I actually write code that does that delegation whenever metaprogramming could do that automatically for me? So I've got some ideas like that running around, but, but there's, there's a negative side to using a lot of meta, metaprogramming to do that, which is that uh, folks who are new to a gem like page object, they often want to go out and read methods or look at methods or look at to see what's there, you know, to understand how to use it. And if they don't see a lot of things, you know, a lot of public methods, then then it's a little bit confusing for them. How is this working? Especially of people who aren't maybe real, real strong in, in Ruby who don't want to jump into the metaprogramming side. So, but that's that's one idea I'm kicking around. So, you know, the the release that I'm coming out with, uh, like I said, this next week, uh, the code base in PageOptic is reduced by almost 50%. So, so it's and the same test suite runs. So, you know, that reduction and still having the same code, the, the same functionality is, is sort of what I'm doing right now. And I guess I'm kind of doing this to, to get it in a position so I can start to think about what's next with it. Okay. All right. You did mention another gem. You mentioned service mock, which is my most recent gem. And w would you be curious to hear about that a little bit? Yeah, actually, I am. I I wrote a a gem that's similar to it, but 
um, once I read what Service Mock does, my my gem is vastly inferior. <laughs> but tell me about Service Mock. So so test data management is an is a huge topic for test automation. If we don't control the data that that our tests receive, uh, our tests become very uh, unpredictable. Let's say. And so, but as I started looking at this, it became really obvious as I'd work from one client to the next that the actual physical test data management part of it is is very uh, company specific. It really depends on the environment that you're in, what databases are there, what type of access you have and such. <clears throat> but one aspect of it that's that's not company independent is that quite often we do need to, to provide service virtualization. In other words, mocks, if you will. We need to have sort of a stand-in that pretends like it is a service and that we can control the data. And so I started looking around and seeing what is out there in the field. And I ran across a Java project called WireMock. And WireMock seemed like it, it was fairly solid and had a lot of what I needed on the base. So Service Mock, first of all, is sort of a wrapper around that. Uh, it has the ability to start it up, shut it down. It has the ability to actually create some mocks, clear out the cache, etc. It even has a couple of rake tasks that are sort of built in. But then the other thing that it has that 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 is really powerful, when you think about a service, it really is about a request and response. And that request and response structure is always consistent. In other words, every time you call us a service, you have the same type of a request and you get the same type of response. And so what I did is I created a templating engine then inside of it where I built out the message structures using ERB, uh, which anyone who's worked with Rails, they're probably familiar with this, this, this idea. And so I built up the message structure and then uh, service mock has the ability to go out and mock one or a whole series of service calls. Re it basically reads the template, takes the data that we provide for the test, merges it with the template, registers it with uh, WireMock. So it's just a nice, simple little framework that allows us to do service virtualization quite easy with our Cucumber tests or Ruby tests. Yeah, I saw that. that. I was really impressed with uh, the write-up about it. And uh, as with all the gems, if anyone goes to Cheesy's GitHub page and looks at his projects, you'll see every one of those. He's got very good instructions for how to use them. So I think they're excellent. Thank you. So do you want to talk about any of the other gems that I've mentioned, like Data Magic or Fig Newton, I've used yeah. Fig Newton a lot. That was a really good gem. Yeah, so so they they both have a nice place. So uh, I'll I'll talk real quickly about Data Magic. Data Magic. So when you think about the data that we need for our tests, uh, we we need data from two sources. Number one, the data that we use to input into the browser that kind of drives the browser, if you will. In other words. When we have a form, how do we fill out that form? And then secondarily, there's the data that comes from the back end. Whenever the app makes a request to a back end data store or 
some services or whatever, there's a data that comes up for it. So, so we need a lot of data. Years ago, when I was working with some clients, I kind of discovered this pattern of default data. And it, it's a design pattern where we provide some sane defaults for uh, the data that we need, but that I can override it with some specifics. And I kind of discovered this because what, what I started to realize is that often we need a lot of data, but the amount of that data that actually changes the outcome of the thing that we're testing is very small. For example, I might have to navigate through several pages to get to this final page and I want to do something. But whenever I look at, you know, all the data that I might have had to enter to get there, it's only a tiny bit of it that that actually changes the outcome for the specific test that I'm working on. So if I can just say, hey, default everything with some data. And by the way, when you get to the second page, I need this exact value in this field and this other exact value in this other field, but everything else just make them default. Then what it does is it really simplifies my tests dramatically. And so data magic was a gem that I kind of wrote to do that. It allows me to specify data. It can deliver that data up. There's really nice integration with page object because I could just say populate my page with the data that I get from this gem and it will kind of automatically do it for you and it allows you to override it. It also allows you to randomize the data. So underneath it has Faker and some other custom code that I wrote that that will actually go out and sort of randomize the data each time you run it. So it's kind of kind of nice from that perspective. I did roll a new release of that fairly recently. I mean, it only had one small change, and that was the change that allows you to specify the data magic file you use with a tag on your feature file for Cucumber. But that's that's what data magic does. Again, simple, easy to use. Big Newton. So when we think about our tests and if we run our tests in different environment, there are things that change from one environment to another, like the login that we use or maybe the URL or 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 whatever it might be, you know, a host name that we need to access. And so I just wanted an easy way to say, hey, I'm in this test environment and have it automatically kind of swap in all of the right data. So that's basically what Fig Newton does. The name kind of came from configuration wrapped in a nice little DSL, and that kind of reminded me of the cookie. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I've used that one a lot. I've not just used it for the test environment configuration, but I've also used it for test configuration, so for various types of tests where we felt like we needed different configuration information just based on the test type. Right. So I want to ask you about Cucumber and Cheese. That's a, the book that I refer to often if I'm talking to, especially to new testers, and I want to encourage them to learn a lot. I think that's a great place to learn a lot. So have you thought about whether you're going to try to update the book for some of the new releases of Selenium and Water or uh, any anything else? I have thought about that. I intend to do that. The challenge that I have, to be quite honest, Dave, is that I've had a very brutal travel schedule lately in that I've been on the road nearly every single week, actually, this whole year. And so just keeping up with some of the conferences I've been speaking at and keeping my gyms updated has, has sucked up almost all of my time. 
at the end of the year, I've got a couple of weeks off around the holiday season. And so my in the back of my mind, my goal for that period was to try to get that dramatically refreshed version of the book out. Um, not only is it going to just update it for for water, you know, the water six and, and some other things. I was going to put a section in there for a service mock. I was going to put another section in there for another gym that I have that's starting to get some usage. I've got a gym called TE3270, which literally it's like page object for a 3270 terminal emulator for testing mainframes. Believe it or not, that's getting some traction as well, crazy as it might sound. And just update it with some new things that I've learned and some new insights that I have. So I hope over the holidays to get that out, but, but I can't swear to it. Well, when you find some time to work, we're all the winners. I appreciate that. I have another question for you because I've seen some different posts on Twitter that I thought were really interesting and true. What's wrong with Agile today? Ah, (laughs) what's wrong with Agile? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with Agile. I think there's a lot wrong with the way that people try to implement it. Let Let me say that first of all. Uh, what it seems to have happened is in the Agile world, there seems to be this huge focus on Scrum or on the the human side of things, on the practice or, or process side of things. You know, a, an emphasis on making sure that we have run great sprints and that we have, you know, user stories, velocity, all of these things, and, and not so much of an emphasis on the engineering practices. So uh, it's interesting. I heard an interview by Ron Jeffries and Chet Hendrickson recently where they said too many people are installing uh, Jira and not Jenkins. And I think that's part of my challenge or part of what I see as, as, as the challenge out there right now. So I should clarify for your listeners that I tend to work with groups that are doing or trying to do continuous delivery. So that's sort of the space that I live in. And so in our in my world, it's imperative that we do things like test-driven development, that we that that our developers and testers work very closely together, that we have build pipelines, that we, we do all of these things. But whenever I look at even companies that are just trying to do basic agile, they miss so many of the principles of the Agile Manifesto, which talk about you know working software as our primary measure of progress, or that talk about our highest value as the continuous delivery of valuable software for our customers. And they're not focused on the software aspect of it. They're not focused on the craftsmanship side. In essence, what they're doing is they're applying Scrum and getting more efficient at delivering crappy software. And so I think that we really need to start waking up and saying that the engineering practices, which for me are the things that developers and testers do, are paramount for delivering working software every day or every week. Yeah, I agree. I have a lot of struggle with all those things myself, being a scrum master right now in my day job. And it's interesting that I have to go through and figure out, okay, what's the most important thing for us right now? Working within a self-organized framework and allowing people to have some flexibility and at the same time trying to keep the same scrum discipline but the other thing that you mentioned is having the XP discipline of doing things right so that 
all those other things can be incorporated. You can't just be all loosey-goosey. The, the first team I ever worked with that said they were doing XP, I, f I found out what they thought XP was. They thought extreme programming was akin to riding a skateboard. <laughs> just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was pretty funny. So. There is that impression out there, but, but the opposite is actually true. If you're going to do things like this, it requires a large amount of discipline. You know, it takes a lot of discipline to test driver code to 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 do these things that are necessary in order to deliver very high quality software. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for joining the Water Podcast. My site is dmcnulla.wordpress.com and my Twitter account is at dmcnulla. Jeff, how can people get a hold of you? Twitter is a great way to get a hold of me. C-H-Z-Y is my Twitter handle. And I recently, as of yesterday, actually, started hanging out on the uh, Selenium and Water Slack channels. So uh, you might see me there occasionally. But to be quite honest, Twitter is probably a better way to reach me. That's great. And Jeff's a good follow if you haven't seen his tweets. Thank you for listening to The Water Podcast. You can leave a comment at soundcloud.com slash waterpodcast. You can contribute at water.github.io. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. All links will be in the episode show notes. Music for the Water Podcast is by Lee Rosevere, entitled Puzzle Pieces, released February 2016 under the label Happy Puppy Records.